Thank you. Wow, y'all have ministered to us today. And we want to be praying for you and encouraging you as you go and serve and minister to our neighbors in Oklahoma City. It means so much to us that you would come and, and serve and be a part of us sharing the gospel in our community and in our neighborhood. So thank you guys and gals for coming. Thank you for blessing us and leading us in worship today. And uh, we commit to be praying for you as you stay in our Family Life Center and as you serve in our community today. Uh, we are people of the wind. Y'all deal with hurricanes. We deal with tornadoes. So we have something in common, right? So uh, it's great to have you all here today. And if there's anything we can do, please let us know while you're here. Um, wasn't that fantastic? Wow. Yeah. As you can tell by our, our graphics in our bulletin cover, we are moving from the parables which uh, Dr. Brown finished up last week with us with a, a powerful story of the prodigal son and the way of the father. And I, I hope that that challenged you to reflect on your own life and dealing with the prodigals and how you might receive and welcome and love and encourage them. And today we move to what we're calling summer passages. One of the challenges of, of our worship planning and sermon planning through the summer is that so many of us are in and out. So I, I like to try to find during the summer kind of standalone Sundays where we can just focus on one particular passage or, or, or idea that we can carry through on a given Sunday. And so this summer, we're going to focus on those familiar passages that, that we're, we're uh, familiar with, that, that encourage us, that give us strength, and hopefully in reviewing those and and reflecting over those and meditating on those over the summer, we can be encouraged again. And so today we begin with a passage, Romans 8, 28, that's one that, that has been meaningful to me throughout my journey uh, as a Christian. Uh, really, and I've shared in my personal testimony at times, that seventh grade was a, a pivotal year in my life. I had some things that happened physically to, to my arm that took away some of my, my dreams, some of the things that I wanted to do and to pursue in high school and even beyond high school, and that was taken away from me when I was about 13 years old. And in youth group, in church, as I read through the scripture, someone said, well, wait, don't you know that, that God works all things out for good? Really? God works all things out for good, even, even this. Yeah, God works all things out for good. Wow, I, I want to learn more about that. And so that's been a, a scripture and a passage that, that during some difficult and, and hard times of life, and especially in recent weeks, that, that's been one that's come and brought comfort and encouragement to me, hope to me. And, and I hope that we can share that and, and experience that even today. So if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I want to share some things through my recent journey um, that uh, are still fresh. I'm still trying to understand, so I, I hope they come across as being coherent today. And uh, if not, then uh, maybe as, as we go through this journey together, uh, they'll begin to make more sense to, to being able to share and to understand, I think, what, I'm, what I would like to share with you today. Uh, we're going to be back and forth in some Scripture, I, I think, systematically as I approach Scripture, and so trying to tie some Scriptures together to help fully understand what Romans 8, 28, and 29 mean to us. Well, one of the first things I discovered as I began to meditate and to think on Romans 8, 28 was what I discovered was when it says God causes all things to work together for good, that that's not a period there. 
That's important. Because so many of us put a period there. And that's not what this verse says. What we need to understand is that this is not an open promise from God. This is a covenantal promise from God. This is a promise of covenant that God shares and offers and reaches out to each of us for. So let's remember and understand that as we go through the Scripture today. Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now I want to stop there, even though the sentence doesn't stop there, because, and, and I want us to reflect on, and, and certainly we could spend a lot of time talking about predestination and God's foreknowledge. Just briefly, let me assure with you that I'm confident in my own understanding of God that God's foreknowledge in no way impinges upon my free will. So we'll just leave it at that for today, and we'll pick that up at some other time. But what's critical for us today is to realize that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love Him, to those that are called according to His purposes. But I want to focus briefly on this idea of all things. Does God really cause all things to work together for good? What, what are the all things that God begins to work together? There's an implication there that all things may not be very good. Yet in the midst of all things, even bad things, God is still at work and present working out good things. In our life, if you would go back up a few verses to verse 18. And really, I would say this entire passage, it all goes together in chapter 8 very well, but verses 18 through 39 are really where we're focusing today. Notice what it says in verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you'd allow me to suggest that when, when in verse 8.28 the Scripture says all things work together for good, that that's a reference back to verse 18. What are those all things? Those all things are the sufferings of this present world. So when we experience the sufferings of this present world, we can be confident that God is at work bringing about good, bringing about redemption and new life. And if we go and continue, and we'll come back in a few minutes to, to those next verses through verse 27, what we discover is a focus on creation. And relevant for me in my, in my struggle now, and relevant for me in, in my struggle as I related in seventh grade, that struggle, those sufferings come out of creation, come out of this created body. The physical sufferings of this world as creation groans, as the physical, physical creation groans and struggles, that, that reflects upon me, reflects upon us in our physicality, our body as well. The sufferings of this world is a part of that. And understanding what all things are. But we also continue on. Look in verse 31. What, what else are these sufferings of this present time? What else can all things mean? It's also a, re a reference to in verse 31. Then what shall we say to these things? What should we say to these things that cause suffering? What should we say to these things that would attempt to separate us from God? Separate us from those that love us. Verse 31, if God is for us, then who can be against us? 
Look down at verse 31, 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now notice it says who, not what. And what Paul is reminding us of here is these are, these are spiritual beings. These are spiritual dynamics, forces that are going on in the world around us that we, we can't necessarily see with our eyes, yet they're there nonetheless. And it says that these things, these things that cause suffering, these things that cause suffering that try to separate us from God and His love are tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword. And then we go on down to verse 38. I am convinced, again, that these spiritual beings, that these things that would come against us, these things like death, even life and, and the invitation of different experiences of life, angels nor principalities, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. So what we have to understand when we see that God causes all things to work together for good, God is talking about all those things that would come upon us, that would attack us, that would come upon us to cause sufferings, those things that would cause us to, uh, to be separated from God, that we can have the confidence that God is working against those things for good. And not only for good, we can be assured that in the midst of our struggles, that God, His love is never removed from us. How many times have we had that thought? Man, God must not love me. How, how, could I be, how could God let this happen to me? How could God let me suffer this way? How could God take this person from me and cause this suffering? We are tempted so readily to say that, well, that must be because God doesn't love us. God's out to get us. And what we need to understand is that God works in all things for our good. And that is good news that we can live by and we can have faith in. So let's continue to discuss and to move forward. The first thing we need to understand in this covenantal promise is that this is a promise for those who love God. God promises that in all things that he is working about good to those that love him. Well, so the question is, do you love God? Well, of course we love God, right? Is there any, you could find some, but generally speaking, is there anyone that you would ask, whatever religion they are, that would say, well, I don't love God. We all love God. But do you love God? Do you love God in the sense of this? How do, how do we know that we love God? What is it about your life that professes and proclaims and demonstrates your love for God? Do you love God? Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John records for us this powerful uh, teaching sermon of Jesus. Look in verse 21. He, or the one who has my commandments, who has my teachings, who has my law, and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me 
will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he or she will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Do you love God? Then the Scripture teaches us those that love God obey His commands. They obey His words. They, they obey His teachings. Well, brother, wait, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Well, none of us are. But have you made that commitment? Have you had that experience of God, that, that love experience of God where you say, God, I love you so much that I'm going to commit my life to following after you, to loving you in all that I am and all that I do and all that I say? Jesus says, for the one that loves God... The one that that commits their life to obeying and following after him. That he is invested, engaged in your life in such a way that all things that you experience, all the sufferings of this life are being used. And he's working them out for good. But there's also another part of this. It says, those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. I think that as we live our life of obedience, we discover and we move forward in his purposes. But what are God's purposes? What are God's purposes in this world? What are God's purposes for you and for me? It seems like God's purposes are to love, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to love each other. Part of God's purposes is justice and righteousness rightness gosh we don't have to look too far around us to find injustice and, and right and, and and wrongness around us and God says those that obey him are, are called according to his purposes and we are people that are are about doing what is right and crying out when we see injustices and as we've shared as we've seen in our own nation immigration law may be some of the most complicated law in all the universe and I know there's lots of sides of different stories, but, but any law that would cause parents to be separated and ripped apart from their children is, doesn't seem to me to be a very just law and it should be cried out against. That's what it means to be called according to His purposes, to, to love and to seek justice and to seek rightness, to, to offer mercy and forgiveness, to be a part of healing and redemption in the lives of others. Who is God working good from all things in their life? Those that love Him and those that are called according to His purpose. So what does God's purpose look like in your life? Are there any clues? I think that's why we have to go to verse 29. God's work has purpose in your life. God's work has direction in your life. And verse 29 is the verse that that, that gives us the light into that truth. We can't keep verse 28 by itself because it, it seems a little indefinite. But in verse 29, what we discover is that God's purpose in our lives is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That when we encounter various sufferings, that God is at work in our lives to make us more and more and more into the image of His Son. That is the good that God promises in our lives. The good that God is seeking in my life as I go through a time of suffering 
is that I might become more and more like His Son, Jesus, in everything that I do and say and experience. That's God's purpose in my life. And so as these sufferings come against me to try to separate me from God and His love or, or make me think that God doesn't love me, I can be confident that God is working and loving me and making me more into the image of His Son. God's work in the midst of our sufferings is to mold and to shape us into that image. If you'll remember that from the beginning, from creation, we are told that we are created in the image of God. Yet the impact of sin and of death on that image has caused sufferings and groanings. The image of God that we were created with has been attacked. If you'd allow me to say it this way, the image of God within us has been deformed. Look at verse back in, in Romans 8. Look at verses 20, 20 through 25. From creation, we have been subject to futility. From creation, we have, have been uh, made slavery to corruption. From the beginning, the whole creation, we have experienced groans and sufferings within ourselves, waiting for our redemption, waiting for our bodies to be redeemed, hoping and persevering, waiting eagerly for salvation to come because of the impact of sin on our lives. So God's work among us today is to restore and to conform us again, if you would, to conform us once again to his image. And that's why the Apostle Paul says when we become a Christian, when we accept Christ into our life, we become a new creation, being conformed in the image of his son Jesus. So, church, here's the question for us today How is God working to conform you? How is God working to conform me more and more into his image? I reflected back on. The blessing of Aaron. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Listen to this blessing that the Lord told Aaron to give his people. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The better word is shalom. And give you shalom did you see that? The Lord's work in our lives, even back from the beginning of this covenant relationship, the Lord's work in our lives is to bring and to give us shalom. Now, the image of God is much greater than this idea and concept of shalom. But for today, let's, let's pursue this idea. The image of God as shalom. Well, what does shalom mean? Shalom means is this concept of wholeness, of wellness. The idea of shalom speaks to peace and harmony of our life and of our relationships. Shalom is health, health in every way, integrated into all parts of our life. Shalom is the absence of ag agitation or discord. Shalom is a state of calm without stress, without anxiety. Shalom occurs... When all of life's relationships are in perfect harmony. What do I mean by relationships? How about our relationship with God? 
Are you in harmony? Are you in peace with God? You know, we are told that we should love God and trust God. We're told that God loves and trusts us, that God pursues us. How's your relationship with God today? Is it in a, a loving and trusting relationship? Or would you say today there's tension? There's, there's no shalom in that relationship with God and myself. What about our relationship with, with, our, with yourself? For so many of us, we, we think we're at peace with God and, and we're at peace with others, but, but we're not at peace with ourselves. There's no shalom if there's no peace with self. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. And thirdly, in relationships, what about your peace in relationships with others? Are you in peace and harmony? Are you in shalom with, with others? Your family, your spouse, your kids, your, your parents, your, your work relationships, your neighbors. Is that a place of, of peace and of harmony, of wellness? Or, or is that disrupted? Is there sufferings there? And so this idea of shalom is, is the integration of these relationships healthily. And peace and harmony. You experienced shalom. Let, let's talk a little bit more about the relationship with self. Again, as we, we travel through Scripture, what we discover in the relationship with self. Let's try to break that down a little bit. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Scripture tells us that we're to love God. Love God with what? With our heart, our soul, and our strength. For the sake of argument, let's define that as self. Our self is our heart, our soul, and our strength. Now, when we get to the New Testament and Jesus is asked about this great commandment and we have the translation uh, from from Hebrew, I'm sure some into Latin and then translated back into the Greek language. Here's how it comes across in the New Testament that we are to love God. How? With all of our heart, our soul and our mind. So as we would bring that, I think, into our, our modern day culture and understanding, I think what, what the scriptures would tell us is that we're to love God with all of ourself. And how do we understand the self today? Very briefly, our heart, our mind, and our body. And we're to love God with all of those things. And when we're able to do that, when we're able to be at peace with our, our heart and our mind and our body, there's shalom. And yet how many of us are not at peace in some of those areas? And because of that, there's a lack of shalom and peace in our lives. Again, shalom comes from the integration of all these, of a relationship with God, with ourself, and with others. Shalom is peace and harmony in all of these areas. So let's see if we can begin to integrate these into a couple of thoughts before we finish. When you suffer these things, when these come, these things come alongside of you and you find yourself struggling with life, you find yourself struggling with shalom, let me encourage you first and foremost to seek shalom, seek harmony with God. Well, how do we do that? Well, we can be confident in God's love. God said there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. All of these things, these sufferings that would come against us are trying to separate us. And God wants us to understand and to know there's nothing that separates you or me from God's love. Secondly, we can trust 
in God's good, in God's promise of working good, that God is working good, that he is present in our lives and he's working good in and through our sufferings, a good that would allow us to be more and more conformed into his likeness. And third, when you suffer these things, pursue shalom. Pursue shalom. This is our journey. This is part of our responsibility in our journey of healing. Our journey of of experiencing what God would desire us to be and to become conformed in the image of His Son. You thought about Jesus... Right? We're supposed to be conformed to His image. Think of the cross. Think of the cross as maybe an expression of, a, of, a, of, of, of seeking and experiencing and, and desiring shalom for Jesus on the cross. The weight of the world, the sin of the world is on Him. He's being, been beat. His body is not in shalom. But what's the first thing He does from the cross? Father, Forgive them. Shalom. Peace. I want to be at peace with others. God, forgive them. What else does Jesus cry from the cross? Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you? That's an honest expression. But if you go back and read Psalm 22, which he was referring to there, what you describe is although that's a cry of honesty and of his own forsakenness, it's also a reminder as you read that that God is faithful and God hasn't abandoned him and that God can be trusted to redeem and to save. And so Jesus, in those first words, is seeking shalom and peace with others and with his Father. I'm thirsty, he cried from the... His body is not in shalom. He, he's seeking, I need something to drink because my body is so out of whack here. Take care of my mom. Relationships. Shalom. I, I want to make sure my mom's taken care of. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Everything's right with us. And I commit my life to you. I commit my spirit into you, into your hands, Father. Wow. On the cross, Jesus seeking and reaching out to experience, pursuing shalom. What about you? Are you seeking and pursuing shalom in your relationships with others? Relationship with yourself? your heart, your mind, and your body. Investing with the doctors, one of the first things that they said to me, one of the factors in surviving cancer is a good attitude. Doesn't that speak to mind and heart? There's no shalom in my body right now with cancer. But if I can find peace in mind and heart, that allows my mind and heart to come alongside And to be a partner in the healing of my body and seeking shalom for my body. But if I have a poor attitude, if I'm angry at everyone and at the world and at God, then guess what? My heart and my mind are not going to be a part of this healing process. And it's going to be difficult. Another thing the doctor said to me is, those that that do the best and that work their way through this process are those 
who have strong community around them. Support, loved ones, families, relationships, neighbors. As we pursue relationships, healthy relationships, it's a part of building and creating shalom in our lives, in our bodies. Where are you at today in pursuing shalom? Now certainly God's good work of shalom of forming us and conforming us into His image will never be completed until we move from this life to the next. And the truth is, some of our bodies will never find ultimate healing and shalom until they are experienced and resurrected from the grave. Even so, God still works in our lives to bring and to pursue shalom in our heart, in our mind, in our relationships. To conform us more and more into His image. How have you experienced God's work of shalom recently? In these last weeks, I've experienced it in deeper ways. Here's a recent conversation with God. Wade, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you know that I love you? Yes, Lord, I know you love me. I need you to trust me. For I am conforming you more and more into my son's image during this season of suffering. And all I can respond to that is, boy, I need that. Even in the midst of the struggles. Conversation with myself. Your, your body is sick. It's critical that your heart and your mind become partners in this process. I've learned I have to, the glass has got to be half full, not half empty, right? It's about having a good attitude, a good mind. But here's the problem. Self can't do that by itself all the time. Self needs family. Self needs friends. Self needs community. The cards... The letters, the calls, the emails, the meals. College students coming over to mow my yard is an expression of love and community that builds and creates shalom and helps to be able to work towards shalom in our lives. So here's my encouragement for us. You pray for shalom. Pray for shalom in those that you know are afflicted with their, their body, their heart, their mind, that are afflicted in their relationships with others. Pray for shalom and work towards shalom with them. Don't be the reason. Don't be the hindrance of someone pursuing and needing to seek shalom. Restore and renew and repair relationships. Come alongside of those that are hurting and be a strong and present community before them as they experience the presence of God and as God begins to shape and conform them. God invites each of us to experience shalom first and foremost with Him. And then to go on this journey of allowing Him to conform each of us more and more into the image of God. How will you respond today? Will you respond to His invitation of shalom? As the choir comes in just a moment to sing and to lead us, it's an invitation to, to be obedient and responsive to what God desires to do in your life. And that is, in the midst of all things, all sufferings, to know that He is working in your life to make you more into the image of His Son, to those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Let's pray.